Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. And welcome back to the program again today. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to join us every week at the same time. We truly, truly appreciate you watching us every week and the responses that we're getting from you. We thank you so much for them. Let me say very quickly, uh, let us know where you're watching from so that as our contracts come due uh, for this, this winter season and we renew our contracts, we can be good stewards of what the Lord has placed within our hands. So if you let us know if you're watching via YouTube or you're watching via uh, one of the networks that we're on, if you're watching us through DISH or DirecTV or cable, please let us know so we know which outlets are the most productive for us. And of course, let me say that this is so powerful to me that YouTube makes it available everywhere in the world that they can get YouTube. And what's amazing is because of our closed captioning, it translates in every language around the world. So you could share these videos with your friends that may not speak English. So uh, they're out there and they're available to you. And it is very easy to go and even review some of the things that we're sharing because we're teaching series on this. And right now we're in the middle of a series on the book of Judges. I think you're going to be really blessed. by. I've been blessed by just studying it. But if the easiest way to find us on or our channel on YouTube is because there's all kinds of stuff out there on me on YouTube. But my channel can be found by simply going to our website at lynnhiles.com. And there is a link that will take you directly to our YouTube channel and to our podcast and to the RSS feed for your Android device. And it's in the upper right-hand corner of our website. You can go there, and if you sign up for it, you can then uh, be notified every time we upload a program, and you'll be blessed to be, to be able to go back and just view them or share them on your social media and help us get the word out of the word that we're teaching and sharing. It would be a blessing to us and to you, and those things are free. Let me mention also, because I haven't really said much about this, we do have a streaming service that is available for our message of the month club. And you can go to our website and there you'll find a link where you can sign up for our message of the month club where we send out a message every month of what we feel like was the best of what God was saying that month in some location where I was preaching. Now let's go back and get in the Word of God again. We were sharing last week about the book of Judges. I, don't, I almost have to review a little bit every time because it, it don't give you the setting if you just started watching. The book of Judges starts out by saying, now after the death of Joshua. Now, we showed you before how that every book of the Bible, the key to it is probably somewhere near the beginning. For instance, the book of Joshua begins by saying, now Moses, my servant, is dead. Joshua, arise now and bring the people into the promised land. So the book of Joshua then is about moving from Moses' law to Yeshua. Joshua is the Hebrew name Yeshua, English word Jesus. So it's about Moses brought you out, Jesus is going to bring you in. And if you take that key, it will unlock the entire book of Joshua. And you'll see that what God is trying to do is lead us into a promised land and out of exile and into our promised land. But the book of Judges opens, which is a very unique book to me, but this was so powerful of a key that it just exploded in my spirit. And uh, it literally starts out by saying, now after the death 
of Joshua. Say it another way. Now, after the death of Yeshua, that's Judges chapter 1, verse 1. Now, after the death of Yeshua, remember now, Yeshua is the name Jesus. So, after the death of Jesus. So, what happens after the death of Jesus is there are some judgments that are executed. Now, these judgments that are executed are not always negative things. And our primary scripture that we're hanging a lot of this on is in the book of Psalms where he says, Sing unto the Lord a new song, and his praise in the congregation of the saints. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise him in the dance with the sounding cymbals, and let them sing aloud from their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute the judgment written, this honor have all his saints. Everything about that psalm screams new covenant. Sing a new song is the new song of the new covenant. See Revelation 5. I'm not going to go back and review that because we've covered it over and over again. We sing a new song. We sing from our bed. That's the posture of rest. Uh, let the children of Zion, that's another symbol for new covenant. And you see that contrast in Hebrews 12. We didn't come to Mount Sinai, but we've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. So it's all about the two-edged sword is the word that flows from rest. And we covered that extensively in the four-part series we did on Ehud, one of the judges here. So the execute the judgment written doesn't necessarily mean that we call down fire from heaven and bring judgment on everything. It means we execute what was exacted through the fact that Jesus was judged in my place. And so that now I've been judged to be righteous. I've been judged to be, my judgment is, as a believer, my judgment is not in my future. My judgment is in my past. Jesus said when he hung on the cross, now is the judgment of this world come. Now is the prince of this world judged. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. This spake he concerning what death he would die. And some say that the word uh, men is in italics there, which means it's not in the original language. I think it includes both men and judgment. But he literally was saying, I drew all judgment into myself. So all of the negative judgment you had coming of the curses of the law were laid on him so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us who are the children of faith. Now we begin uh, to share through that, and that, that's, that's just a little bit of a review because I want to get back to Deborah here this morning. We've already dealt with Othniel and Ehud and Shamgar and several of these judges that are ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And I want to emphasize this because this is not just dealing with glow-in-the-dark preachers or, or glow-in-the-dark saints. This is dealing with ordinary people that hardly nobody knows their name that are flawed with human weakness and failure. I mean, when you start going through these people's lives, Jephthah, his mother was a harlot. Samson had woman problems. Gideon was a coward. Ehud was left-handed. Othniel was in the younger brother syndrome. Now we're dealing with Deborah. She's a woman. And you know what? Women have had to fight, uh, scratch, and claw. Uh, and through, I think it's a tragedy that we, you know, here we are, you know, uh, 2,000 years into the new covenant, and we're just struggling about whether the women ought to be in, used of God or not. But I'm going to tell you they were even used in the old covenant because we're going to deal with this woman by the name of Deborah. Now let's go over here and look at Deborah for a moment. And we, we started to introduce this last week. But this is the fourth chapter 
of the book of Judges. It said, When Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Harashoth, Hagoim. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron, and for 20 years he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Labadoth, was judging Israel at the time. And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came to her for judgment. Now remember, I said this to you last week. Deborah's posture was she was sitting under a uh, palm tree uh, between Ramah and Bethel and the mountains of Ephraim. Now to me, the palm tree is significant here. Because it says that the righteous, the scripture says in the book of Psalms, for the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. He will grow like the cedars that are in Lebanon. Uh, those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Now what we shared with you last week is that Deborah uh, was a prophetess that God would use and she was going to use her against a, a, a king by the name of Sisera. Let me read on down through here to get this set up, and then we'll come back and review of even some of the things we've already said. It says in verse 6, Then she sent and called for Bar Bar Barak the son of Abinoam from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor? Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulun, and against you I will deploy Sisera the commander of Joab's army with his chariots and his multitude at the river of Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. And Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah rose and went with Barak, Barak to Kadesh, and Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali and Kadesh. He went up with 10,000 men under his command, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber, the Kenanite of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the terebinth tree of Zanim, which is beside Kadesh. And they reported to Sisera that, Bar that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone down going up to Mount Tabor. So Sisera gathered together all of his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him from Hirosheth to Hagoyim to the river of Kishon. Then Deborah said to Barak, Up for this day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand, has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him, and the, and the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and in all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot, fled away on foot, but Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Herosheth, Hagoyim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword, and not a man was left. However, Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenanite, for there was peace between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the house of Hebor Kenanite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not fear. And when he had turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. Then he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk and gave him a drink and covered him and said to her, Stand at the door of the tent, and if any man comes and inquires of you, 
and says, Is there any man here? You shall say, No. Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple. And it went down into the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary, and so he died. And then Barak, and, and then as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you seek. And when he went into her tent, there lay Sisera dead with the peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. Now, let me just, this is such a powerful, powerful story, because first of all, what I want you to see is that we've been dealing with the fact that Deborah, who was a woman, and we shared with you in last week's segment how that the woman uh, is, of course, you know, we, we, we established the fact that God can use a woman. But we took it a little bit deeper than that, and we showed you how that the woman can symbolize our soul. And you say, well, how do you figure that, Brother House? Because David said, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. Now, I know I'm hanging a lot on that, but if you look up the word soul, especially in the Hebrew language, it is a feminine gender term. Greek word is suke, psyche, psychology, psychotic are all words that we derive from uh, the word soul. So here we have, if you can see it like this, a picture of Deborah, who is a picture of the soul, who is underneath of a palm tree. So she has established in her own thinking that I'm the righteousness of God because the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. Remember, she's under the palm tree. She's between Bethel, the house of God, and Ephraim, which is doubly fruitful. So when you get your mind right, and you get it, oh, hallelujah, when you get your mind right and you get your carnal thinking out of the road and you stop being double-minded and carnally-minded, which is death, and you sit under the palm tree, you're going to end up being doubly fruitful because you've learned how to dwell in the house of the Lord because the righteous are like, flourish like a palm tree. Uh, they, they will grow like the cedars of Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of our God will flourish in the courts of our God. Now, the next thing I want you to see is that Sisera's name literally means, it means, uh, let me, it means let me, let me, I got it written down here. His name means meditation, a field of battle, battle array, or binding in chains. It also means a sea of horses. The root word equals to leap onward or to make an onset. The thought for me is that this is dealing with the battle that is in our minds. Our biggest warfare is casting down imaginations and every high thing that lifts itself against the knowledge of God. The war that goes on in our minds. So what I'm showing you here is that this battle that Deborah is leading, and she's going to have with her a woman by the name of Jael, who's also going to join in the end of the story that you just heard me read, is they're going to deal with the battle that goes on between our minds. I believe the reason the gospel is called the gospel of peace is because when we start to understand 
that the victory has already been won, that Jesus has already won the battle, that our biggest enemy is really not the devil. Our biggest enemy is stinking thinking. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more as we go on down through here. But I also wanted to, if I can find it here real quickly, uh, the, the word Deborah, I mean, yeah, the word Deborah is a Hebrew word that comes from the root word bee, like a, a honeybee. This same word is used, and we will unpack this more when we get over with Samson, but when he was talking about there is honey in the carcass of the lion, that the word bee that's used there is actually the root word for the word Deborah. Now this word for Deborah is a Hebrew word uh, that is, it's a, it is a word that uh, Samson used. It is, it, it is the feminine version of the verb Debar, the noun Deborah, which means a bee. The conclusion, the bees in the line from the uh, Samson's riddle of Judges chapter 14 is a gender inverted similarity of the word of, uh, that, uh, of the word in the crib, <coughs> I'm sorry, of Luke 2, 7. So uh, Jeremiah's enigmatic statement, a woman will compass a man, is suddenly not so enigmatic anymore because what happens is, is that what that baby wrapped and laying in a crib or a manger is the same word that you see um, used here for lion. In other words, the bee, I, I don't know if I'm doing this justice. <coughs> Excuse me just a minute. Deborah whose name means a bee. We see this same bee producing honey in the carcass of a lion. The, the riddle that Samson had, and we'll unpack this when we get to Samson, was he gave them three days to solve the riddle. There's sweetness in the eater. What that riddle simply is, is the three days and three nights of the person and work of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection are the three days and three nights to solve the riddle. The death, of, or their sweetness in the eater is the death of a king has produced promised land results. That's where the bee comes in. So in other words, promised land is like a land that flows with milk and honey. So what I'm saying is simply this, Deborah's name brings us to a place where we're learning how to pull down the warfare between our ears and apply what God has done through His redemptive work and execute a judgment on Sisera, the carnal thoughts, the fear, the anxiety, and stuff that tries to flood through our minds, and we pull it down as strongholds, everything that lifts itself against the knowledge of God. And so we see again that uh, these are judgments executed, which speak of executing what Jesus accomplished in His work and when He drew all judgment into Himself. And, 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 and what this is to me is a picture of, once again, you see Caesarea, whose name means battle array, warfare, battle in our minds. You know, I, I think to myself, I, you know, I went through some things myself. Let me try to get this in a, 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 a way that's palatable to you. <clears throat> you know, I think through COVID, there was such a fear uh, that was released because people were glued to the television set. And I, I get it. I understand I was too. But what happens is there was all kinds of fear. There's all kinds of propaganda 
all kinds of conspiracy theories. And when you let your mind go down those pathways, the first thing you know, fear hits you, especially if you've lost any loved ones. We lost some friends and family during that, uh, you know, that pandemic. I don't want to downplay the seriousness of what people experienced. But even after coming out of that, uh, I, I, I had never experienced panic attacks before, and I, I like to think of myself as a man strong in the faith. But I, I started to have some uh, blood pressure elevated, and it like it was a fear came over me, and I literally had to fight through this spirit of fear and anxiety and depression because I thought the first time, you know, in other words, you, you see so many people that been affected by this or some other thing. And even as you get older, you see people above you starting to pass away and die. And the first time you get a pain, you're like, oh God, is this this? Is that that? And if I got a pimple, is it cancer? You know, it's like on and on we go. We start to fear and a spirit of fear starts to set in. We start even to talk to ourselves. I believe outside of the Word of God, and we start to talk ourselves into fear and depression. And while I don't know that I was talking myself into it, what would happen is a spirit of fear would come over me and it would be, I thought I was having a heart attack. And so I went to the ER, man, my heart's beating and my blood pressure's out the roof. And I'm like, man, I just, so they got me hooked up to all kinds of stuff and they're running. And as soon as I get to the emergency room, my blood pressure starts coming down. And my daughter-in-law, who's a doctor, said, do you know why that is? I said, no. She said, because now you feel like you're safe because you're there at the hospital where they can, somebody can help you if something goes wrong. And my blood pressure came down. Long story short, after going through all kinds of tests and the doctors coming back and saying, hey, you don't have any blockages. This is not your heart. I started to really think because I, would get, I was getting ready to do a big event in Birmingham, Alabama, a big uh, uh, eschatology seminar that I was hosting. And I literally... Uh, it was live, and I'm thinking to myself, sitting in the seat, man, I'm, I know my wife's going to be watching this live, and boy, I just if I fall down dead on this platform, this is not going to be good. And I'm literally having a panic attack, and one of the uh, young preachers that was there with me, he said to me, you all right? I said, no, I'm not. I said, I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I said, man, I need you to pray for me. And he laid hands on me, and he prayed for me, and I went up, and God, man, the anointing of God would come on me, and I would be fine. While I was preaching it towards the end of it, the last session, I literally sat down on a chair. Nobody, nobody really knew uh, that I was sitting there thinking, I just don't know if I'm going to make it. And so this, but I, when I start to really assess what was going on, I said to my wife when the new year turned, I said, I think this is nothing but a spirit of fear. And once I exposed that spirit of fear and began to do what the scripture says, speak to myself in psalms and in hymns and in spiritual songs, because some of the stuff that we worry about and the some of the more that goes on between our ears is worrying about stuff that will never really happen. And then it really comes because we don't trust the Lord or we don't put our faith and confidence in Him. And then I begin to see, to see that everything in the kingdom is voice activated. Your tongue is like a rudder of the ship. I am really, this is really an area that I need to discipline myself more in. And stop talking about how bad it is. When we look at the economic situations right now that we're in, the political system, uh, the division that's going on, if we put our focus on that, I literally had to put myself on a fast from the news. 
Because when you get done watching the news, depending on which one you watch, it's a totally different story. And I've come to realize it's really not news, it's entertainment television trying to keep you glued to the TV set. And it will keep you stirred up and angry. It will keep you stirred up at somebody and you, you'll begin to hate people that you have. Somebody's got to teach you to hate. And I don't hate these people and they don't hate me. But when we kind of pit each other, you know, that was some of the strategies that Hitler used to bring division in his country was to pit one people group against another people group. And I am amazed at how even the tide has turned and the opinion has turned towards the church to almost everything you see on the media that has anything to do with God is always seen in a negative light, like we're a bunch of stupid hillbillies that are bigots and we don't know what we're talking about. But the truth of it is, is that it's always slanted in a negative way. And before you know it, you're upset, you're mad, you're ready to, you know, you're ready to fight it. Sometimes I think it's what has brought us almost to the brink of acting non-Christian. I mean, even the way we treat each other on social media, if they don't agree with our point of view, is something's got to stop and change this, or we're going to end up brother against brother and sister against sister killing each other. That's the Sisera I'm talking about. Now what happens is, is there's a woman by the name of J.L., and we'll probably have to touch her a lot more in the next segment, but this woman by the name of J.L., she takes a nail, a tent peg, which is actually the same word that's used where Jesus nailed principalities and powers to the cross. She takes that nail and she puts it on the temple of Sisera, and she nails that dude to the ground. What we're going to have to do is take the revelation of the finished work of Jesus Christ and begin to apply it to our stinking thinking and put that nail between our ears and nail that carnal thinking to the ground. By speaking the truth in love, that doesn't mean you tell somebody off under the anointing. It means you begin to speak what God says about them and not just other people, but speak to yourself in psalms and in hymns and in spiritual songs. We overcome him, the Bible says, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. So the blood and can I say even, uh, you know, uh, uh, I'm probably about to run out of time, but even where the Scripture talks about having our conscience seared with a hot iron, the word seared there is the Greek word katarazo, and it means to stop the flow of blood. But in Hebrews, the, the blood was shed not just to put on the outward man, but to purge our conscience not so that we don't feel bad about doing bad things, but so that it purges our conscience enough to realize that I can still, even when I'm messed up and jacked up, I can come to God and come boldly to a throne of grace and my conscience being purged enough that I don't stop the flow of blood to my conscience where I can crawl up in His lap and say, Abba, I need some help. I don't know about you, but I think this is a blessing understanding this and this judgment that is being executed here. Let's put the nail on the temple. Well, we're out of time in this segment. Take a moment, if you would, to go to our website there, sow to seed into the ministry. Uh, there's a link there where you can give via credit card through our PayPal portal. You can give via credit card, debit card, however you want to. You can also write a check 
or money order and send it to the address that'll come on the screen or you can call the number that'll come up on the screen and someone will take your call. We don't man the phones 24 hours a day. So if you don't get an answer, leave a message and we will try to return your call sometime during office hours. But we do need your help. You can even sign up for a monthly debit if you'd like to become a monthly partner. God bless you. Thank you for joining us again this week. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.